reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. Welcome to Talking Giants presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We're here in Manhattan. And that's it. The Giants have a 2022 draft class. They drafted mm. 11 players, two cornerstone pieces, some other good pieces. Um, the first draft of the Joe Shane era, we're going to break down all 11 picks. We're going to kind of talk about some overall draft thoughts. Justin, how, how do you feel? I mean, after round one, you know, we came away with, I mean, just two cornerstone pieces and Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, and I keep on saying Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau instead of the other way around, even though that's the way they were drafted. Mm. Um and then Joe Shane like trades back, you know. He twice. traded back twice in a matter of you know ten minutes. Uh, traded pick thirty six to end up getting Wandale Robinson, De- uh, Dane Belton, and then uh, Micah McFadden. Uh, you know, like a playmaker for Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, and two scheme fits for Wink Martindale. Um, a very interesting draft process. It seemed like Justin they really valued their relationships, meeting with guys, and I think. Uh, you know, conspiracy theory, but I think they are, you know, Joe Shane kind of trusted himself and his coaches maybe more yeah. than scouts because it, it seemed like a lot of guys that they really had up close and personal. Hey, Bobby Skinner. That was a draft weekend, huh? That was a draft weekend. 11 picks, uh, not nine. Joe Shane was right the entire time. He said it. He, he said s- 11 picks. He had the vision. He planned it. Um, I'm going to start off with some positives three positives of themes of the entire draft class and then two one valid critique and then a somewhat valid critique and we're gonna talk about it all right let's start off with the positives seems like these guys are high character guys guys who seem to fit what these coaches want to do and they seem to be coachable seem to be coachable nine of the 11 picks are 22 or younger and a very athletic draft class like they're they're betting on that kind of athletic upside right? right so let's start off with those three positives do you want to expand on it at all um no i think the them going young was something we noticed with the bills but like yeah. how much do we take into that sometimes i think that stuff may just be random i do think you know you look at uh you know cordell flot like he's 20 years old he's got a lot of upside um but also part of it is you know the top of the class usually is going to be younger guys i mean you know, but the thing with this draft class though bobby i was thinking of during our prep during our prep and the guys that we looked at this guy's already 22. This guy's 23. He may be 24 by the season starts. So that was a common theme throughout this entire draft class, at least with with the players that we've looked at, right? And I think a key thing about this draft class, um, just overall, is that there was a difference between the players that we looked at and the players that kind of went higher, not just on the Giants board, but the players that kind of just went throughout oh, the entire draft. This whole draft was wild. It was it bizarre, was, man. It was, it was a wild draft. The way things went. I mean, it's just... You know, every year, you know, there's rumors before like, oh, the mocks are way off, you know, or the big boards are way off, and they're always wrong. Like stuff the goes, first round stuff was goes, actually somewhat 
predictable. Yeah, stuff usually goes pretty chalk, but man, it was all over the yeah. place throughout this draft. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if that had to do with more with hey, we're getting more visits. You know, over the last two years, where COVID, where outsiders had, you know, sometimes just as much info as the you know the guys that were in the building. Yeah. But um, I do want let's start at the top of the draft though with Kayvon and Evan Neal. Wait, can I get to my two valid criticisms? Go for it. The average age of the draft class was 22.11. Just want to let everybody know. So the valid critique. Are the Giants too reliant and maybe getting too cute on we believe our coaches can coach these guys up? Because really, I, I look at especially those day two picks, and we're going to talk about them individually. I look at those day two picks, and all three of them are we believe in our coaching staff that we can coach these guys up and they can find some sort of role. I think that definitely showed up on day two. You know, day three, you know, you got – you know, there were some good value picks day three. Yeah, I'm kind of happy with day well, three. Well, day three, like Belton is is a versatile. Uh, Daniel Bellinger, we really like. Yeah, solid player. Um, you know, Micah McFadden has that kind of a defined role of who he is. Mm -hmm. Darian Beaver's experience. Value. Um, but day two, I do agree because Wandale, uh, an exciting talent, but he's got some like some even some basic stuff to work on. Josh uh, Azudu, the guard out of North Carolina, um, he's like, man, he's really athletic. There's some really good stuff here, but there's also some stuff with his hands that really needs to get cleaned up. Yep. And we'll break down each guy individually. Um, and then even Cordell Flott, uh, very young, I mean, super athletic, like very fun player to watch. But there's also some stuff at like the top of the route where it's like, okay, he needs to work on that. He loses, you know, leverage early in the re in the rep sometimes. So I feel like that's a valid critique of you. You look at where the consensus had some guys, and especially this is this is especially on day two. Day two, consensus would argue that the Giants overdrafted. Even though I don't think that's totally fair, we'll 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 talk about it. So that's we'll a talk valid about each guy individually. It's a valid critique on hey. The Giants are maybe getting too cute on guys they feel like they can solely coach up. And then a somewhat valid cr criticism that we will find out the answer to soon, like Bobby said, was Joe Shane too reliant on his face-to-face -face encounters. And that is something that I am Or information about. from Buffalo, because we talked with our cover Buffalo. one guys, and a lot of the guys that were on the Giants board were on the Bills board as well. You know, yep. guys they had brought in for uh, top 30 visits as well. Um, let's talk about these 11 guys. Yeah, let's talk about the 11 guys. I mean, it starts at the top, and you can't help but come away excited from Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. And you can't forget that it happened, Two which I feel like that happens every year, by the way, especially when there's a lot of draft picks. You almost forget so much happens in day two and three, and then you forget, oh, Shit, the Giants just walked away with two, two top ten picks. Two and cornerstone pieces. Cornerstone pieces yeah. You know, I had six A-plus players in this draft. One was Kenyon Green, a guard. He's not going to go high. Um, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, off the board. Sauce Gardner, off the board. Um, and then Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. And then Akema Kwanu as well. Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, those are two cornerstone pieces, and we talked about it on Friday, Justin. Those were the two biggest weaknesses on the team the past four or five years. Yeah. Okay, it's been one, the offensive line, but specifically right tackle, mm -hmm. whether it's Nate Solder, Mike Remmers, Eric Flowers, huh? Chad Wheeler. Mm. I mean, just all-time weakness at that position. Great names. All I mean, when you think, when you th look back, and over the last five years, Mike Remmers has been your right tackle. And he's been the best one. <laughs> your be the, the, he's been their best right tackle the last five <laughs> years has been Mike Remmers. Maybe not named Nick Gates, and then that one game. Yeah. 
and and you get Evan Neal, the best pass blocker in this draft by far, most polished, good size, good athleticism, and then the pass rush. They have not been able to rush the passer. Even you look at the beginning of 2021, you know, they added a Dory Jackson. They wanted to blitz and play more man coverage. But even when they blitzed, they could not get yeah. pressure. Yeah, like they couldn't 50, get pressure. 50% of the time, uh, week one against the Broncos, Patrick Graham brought a blitz, but Teddy Bridgewater still somehow is over three seconds to throw inside the pocket. Yeah, and so you get, you know, I, what I think is the second best pass rusher in the draft in Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, and I like that he traded out of 36. Uh, I think that was one day it was kind of at the top of their list, and we looked at all the guys that went between 36 and that 43rd pick, and I don't think any of those guys were the, were the target. I think it, Wandale was the target. You can call him a reach. You know, I don't think any of us, us had him there, but also kind of like Kadarius Tony, you can see the vision. He can do things that other guys can't do that maybe you had high, rated higher at the position. Yeah. Um, so turning those nine picks into 11 picks and a team with needs. And, you know, they had nine nine positions picked with 11 picks. And mm-hmm. then one of the positions that was doubled up was linebacker, and you had two polar opposite players uh, and Darian Beavers and, and uh, Micah McFadden. So we're going to start at the top with Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, we're not going to go too crazy. We did the full, you know, thing on Friday with these guys. But the second best pass rusher in this draft, Justin, you know, great get off that consistently opens offensive tackles, hips, uses his hands violently, but could use more top pop. Um, I think he's just going to turn into a complete pass rusher. I really do think there is room for growth to this guy because you see him working things like he could get into that better. You know, sometimes it's, it's a little segmented, his pass rush, but you see so many good things, so many good reps, so many like ability to use power, ability to go outside in, the ability to bend that edge and, t- and turn the corner. You you see him do everything well enough to be like, this is gonna, this guy's going to grow and get better at it because the, the, the we didn't really touch on it much on Friday, but the biggest critique right now of Kayvon Thibodeau and it's an uh, a valid one is he doesn't take over games he takes over reps he'll go every game he'll have really great great reps while he's rate, rated high but unlike Aiden Hutchinson there was like there wasn't those cave on Thibodeau games and at least this past year where it's like he just dominated this rep this game rep every single down in down out cave on Thibodeau so that's something he needs to get better you know become more of a fluid pass rusher but he does so many things well and I think he fits New York. He's going to fit what Wink Martindale yep. wants to do. And I think, you know, uh, Wink Martindale is really going to work with him. Justin, this guy has the ability, and I do believe he will be, the next best great Giants pass rusher. Not a really good one. I think he's going to be a great pass rusher. Uh, and, the, and that's what the Giants got in Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, superstar potential. I mean, that that's really the only thing I'm going to touch on with, with Kayvon. I mean, we already know who he is as a player. But uh, between the personality and then also just more importantly, the – the play and the production, um, he has that superstar potential here in New York. And it's what New York needs. It's what the Giants need. The Giants are so much better when there are players that you can actively root for, not just because maybe they're underrated, which that, that's what's been happening the last couple of years. Like, hey, we got some underrated players in 2020. Let's give Blake Martinez more love. Let's give, let's give James Bradbury more love on losing teams, right? But let's just have a superstar player on a team that actually naturally is going to win more football games and Kayvon Thibodeau has that electric personality and those, as well. Those are the type of guys that win playoff games. Yeah. You know, we talked about it. Uh, coverage on a week one through eighteen uh, basis, I do think is more valuable valuable than pass yeah, rush. Stop the explosive play. But when yeah. you look at it, sacks and drives, they're drive enders. Coverage stops you from getting destroyed, you know, beat deep down the field and giving up explosive plays. Sacks stop stop drives. Yeah. And then when it's third and eight. 
they they when they have no choice but to get you know hold on to the ball a little bit and let routes develop they end those when you can rush four and rush those guys and you see it every year in the playoffs like the teams that can rush four and drop back in coverage can win those big playoff yeah. games and I think Kayvon Thibodeau hopefully in the near future will be doing that for the New York Giants yeah. you know in, impacting the playoffs where you know maybe Sauce Gardner could have impacted weeks one through 18 a little more than yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau but I think Kayvon Thibodeau is that guy that one he's going to impact the regular season games and you know and, and we also talk about this with coverage and and pass rush have we ever went in a game as Giants fans and went like man these cornerbacks are really good or do we go into these games and like this pass we're, rush? We're circling the, the Nate Solder versus uh, Robert Quinn or Nate Solder versus Michael Park. Like in, insert that matchup if there's a bad tackle and edge matchup. Right. It's it's the pass rush duo that you worry about. Like that you worry about. You know, yeah. there's very few like cornerbacks where it's like, oh, you just don't throw at him. Yeah. Um. So they got their star pass rusher, and then they got cute, uh, and they you know they let the offensive tackles who which was a bigger need, and they get Evan Neal, man. And I thought Evan Neal and Akemi Kwanu were one A and one B. It was and so- I think they did in a in a way. I think they had Neal ahead, but I do think that they would have been fine with either or. Yeah, and I'm very glad they weren't going to draft Charles Cross over one of those guys, which was which was worrisome with the pre pre draft smoke. Which, by the way, the Giants uh, executed some pretty good uh, smoke screens. I mean, there was talks about the the Kayvon Thibodeau interviews with the Giants were just all time bad, like all time bad, and they draft him before their biggest need in, at right tackle. Yep. There was they love Charles Cross. They love Charles Cross. They love Charles Cross. They love Charles Cross. Get out of here. No, they didn't love Charles. Shut your Cross. butt. So Evan Neal, six foot seven, three hundred thirty seven pounds. He's going to move the right tackle. They they confirm that, and I do think that's the right decision. Um. That six foot seven, three hundred thirty seven frame. Like you look at him, and you're like, man, this is just one lean dude. You know, like you, he's not overweight at all. He's got experience at guard, right tackle, and left tackle. And I thought he looked better at right tackle, Justin. And his overall strength just throws shows up all throughout his game. Like his hands land well in the pass rush. He's not a victim to a Boris. There's times where he can get pushed back a little bit, but again, he's not going to be a huge victim to to the bull rush. And the run game, like he fires through guys. I think he does a good job to start. He does need to sustain a little bit. But again, he was the best pass blocker in this draft. The most polished, much better than Charles Cross to me. Much better. And I know people say, well, what about the PFF stats? No, watch the film. Evan Neal was a much better pass blocker. And it's why, you know, with Akema Kwanu, you know, you fall in love with him. But also, like, Akema Kwanu really does need to get better as a pass blocker. Like, there was no doubt that Evan Neal is going to be a better pass blocker uh, than a Kim Aquanu. The, the question is how better how better would have a Kim's gotten, and then will Evan Neal's uh, run game you know be able, he doesn't have that ceiling in the run game that a Kim Aquanu does. But again, I think because we got fell so in love with the Kim Aquanu's like run game, we forgot that Evan Neal's a pretty damn good run blocker too. He just sometimes has some balance issues where he doesn't sustain the block through and ends up you know fall, uh, you know on the ground too more often than you would like. And at the end of the day, pass blocking is more important than run blocking. Yes, definitely. But again, Evan Neal's a good run blocker. Yeah, yeah it's not he, that he, he's a top 10 pick, top 5 pick for a reason. He's know? just not like totally tossing guys around. Yeah. You know, uh, and then the, again, there's some balance issues where he ends up on the ground or he doesn't sustain it. Like he starts to block really well. He gets his feet, rolls him through, and rolls his hip through, and he just doesn't sustain the block throughout it. So, um, and I, he's an he's an extremely intelligent person yeah. and player. Like he hey, character, high character. You're right? never gonna stunt them. You're not gonna surprise them. Like he just he always sees when he, when they're working inside. He IDs it well. And again, well, now we we have Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal as our starting tackles. It's the best young 
uh, starting tackle pair in the National Football League. And it's funny, you know, when we're talking about Kemakwano versus Evan Neal, you have to remember that the two top 10 picks happened when you're <laughs> when you're recapping the entire draft, right? Even though Thursday night seems like such a, 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 a long time ago, especially if you were hanging out with us for all 17 hours on YouTube. Very, very fun weekend. But, um, you know, I said a, a valid critique of this draft is are the is the coaching staff or is Joe Shane and the coaching staff are they getting a little too cute with players that they think that they can coach up? Well, if that was the case for the entire draft, then they would have taken a Kemakwan over or over Evan Neal. Yeah, um, but they also did kind of get a little cute too with, and I like this where they took Kayvon like, all right, we'll take. But the I best think again, that's one of those situations where th the way that they have players on their board, they would have been fine with either or. So I, I, I like that. Hey, it's not what I would have done because I think as Giants fans, uh, well, I know I think as Giants fans, nobody really did that um, because I think we just wanted to get the tackle, wanted to get the tackle, and that was the biggest worry from night one is that we were going to walk away with the right tackle, either no right tackle or right tackle we don't like. They did it, and it was in the best situation and the best scenario that it possibly could have gone. To. Yeah, I think it's the best first round since Eli Manning. I really do. I yeah, think that's it's the, not it's, a hot take. You know, no. Um, and again, we have Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal as our tackles. You said the best young dude. This, I'm telling you, I really do believe this isn't me being a Giants fan. I think three, four years from now, it's people teams will talk about. Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas. Yeah, they like should. The, the best tackle duo yep. in the NFL. And again, think about all the offensive line issues this Giants team has had over the past 10 years. And now we have the opportunity to be that. Obviously, Evan Neal's got to grow into it. You can't just, you know, you can't name him that right now. But I really do think three years from now, we're going to be talking about the best, the best tackle duo in the NFL. I really do. All right. Are you ready to kind of move on and talk about the rest of these nine guys? Yeah, let's talk about day two and day three. But I have one more point I want to make. You talked about on your your draft day speech about the 2018 Colts draft, how they had a lot of picks and, you know, hey, all of them didn't hit, but it's still one of the best draft classes of, you know, that we consider over the last 10 years, right? Do you know when the last time the Giants had 11 draft picks? Uh, the David Deal draft. Yeah. Do you know what year? No. 2003. 2003, the Giants had 11 draft picks in one class. That is the last time that they had 11. OCU Manura, David Deal, David Tyree, and then William Joseph, a little bit of a disappointing first-round pick, but I believe he is a Super Bowl champion. Two really good players, like really good players, and one player who provided the biggest moment in team history. We view this as one of the best Giants draft classes ever. So let's keep that in mind. Again, this entire draft month, between some of the episodes that I've done with Bleeding Blue, looking over draft classes, looking over um, the best picks by round, hey, there's 11 picks if... Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal are the kind of studs that we think that they can be, and the Giants maybe walk away with two other quality starters that we're looking back maybe four years from now saying that these guys are good, then I think that's a good draft class, right? Yeah. I, I you know, with There's the, context and there's nuance, but right in a vacuum. Yeah. Like like Wandale, you know, uh, needs to be a good player. You know, one of a Zudu or, or Flaw needs to be a solid, you know, and then you, you find like a solid player on, the, on yeah. day three or maybe even two. And that started with Wandale Robinson, the wide receiver out of Kentucky. He was picked in the second round, 43rd overall. Obviously, the Giants draft uh, traded back twice. This was a very this was a very surprising pick. Like, let's be real. This was not on our radar. You know, most people viewed him as like a third round pick. Um, and at five foot eight, 178 pounds, like he's a smaller guy, uh, ran a four four uh four 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 forty, the Wendy's forty. Mm. Um 
But he put up a ton of production. And I think this player is one of the more nuanced players to talk about in the draft. He put up 1,300 receiving yards this past year at Kentucky, transferring from Nebraska. Um, and then at Nebraska, and I think this has a part to do with it because he's get, he looked at it as like a gadget player because Nebraska used him as a gadget player. Like they lined him up at running back, gave him routes, you know, uh, you know, and then used him as a receiver as well. Nebraska used him as a gadget player. And then Kentucky used him as like an all or nothing type player where it's like we're giving you smoke screens, we're getting you out on the flats, or we're sending your ass deep. So it was either big play or let's get you the ball short and, and let you make a move in space. Um, you know, so they they but Kentucky used him more as a conventional wide receiver, but he didn't run a lot of the route tree. But again, his speed is really good. Not great for his size, but really good. He's quick more than fast. Yes, very quick, but he plays strong. Like, you know, the bench press reps, like he's cut up. He had the most uh, highest number of bench press bench presses. In the in the class this year, yeah. Receiver. Short arms, obviously, you know, like twenty seven inch arms. But again, like he's he's cut up and he runs through guys. Like he's he's a really fun to watch. Like his cuts are just really good, and he knows how to set guys up with leverage when he has the ball in his hand. Uh, and they're going to try and get him out in space. That's what Brian Dable did in Buffalo. You know, they had shorter receivers with Cole Beasley, Isaiah yep. McKenzie. The Chiefs had some shorter receivers, obviously Tyreek Hill. But you know, when Wandale's not going to be Tyreek Hill. Um, and the difference between saying that. Kafka and Dable are going to try and get this guy out in space is I actually think that they are going to try and get this guy out in space versus we took Kadarius Tony last year and we're like Jason Garrett has to somehow get this guy out in space when Jason Garrett has always had terrible terrible bottom of the barrel yards after catch performances every single year yeah in terms of his offense. yeah we're, we're, when we draft a Kadarius Tony like this signals that there's going to be changes in the offense no and not really there wasn't that's, changes. that's what we wanted to think I will say now that we're talking about Kadarius Tony <laughs> Kadarius Tony almost ruins every Wandale uh, Robinson uh, type player because Kadarius Tony is just on another level. Yeah, like he really is on another level when it comes to uh, some of this stuff. And and obviously Kadarius Tony's six foot two. You know he's not five foot eight. Um, as far as route running, like his best is his best route running is when he's getting deep. He works leverage and they'll cut inside. Worked on crossers, the slot fade, which was something that Daniel Jones had a lot of success with. With Golden Tate and I get, and like Tony's, you can move him inside outside. I do think Wandale's going to line up mostly in the slot, um, but he just needs like his routes are at one speed. He doesn't understand, or I won't say doesn't understand, but he hasn't used like route sell. He hasn't used route leverage. You can kind of telegraph his routes at times, but that's stuff that I won't say can be fixed easily, but can be fixed with good coaching. And there's reason to believe that one, he seems like a hard worker. Nebraska used him as a gadget player. So it's hard yeah. to focus on your craft when you're used like that. And then one year at Kentucky where they kind of use them all or nothing, you know, like, and they were more like scheme maybe. Like there's that stuff that can be fixed, and I really do hope it is fixed because he seems like a hard worker. So um, you can call this a reach, and I don't think you're wrong. But also it's like like Tony, it's like you see the vision because he can do things that other guys that you may have liked higher at the wide receiver spot can't do, you know. And you get him out of space, make guys miss. As the, as the NFL gets more to trying to stop big plays, guys like Kadarius Tony, Wandale Robinson become so much more important because you want to get them short in space and be able to be yak guys. Um and I do think they're going to try and use him more as a traditional receiver as well as doing some of the gadget stuff. Um, but, again, at Kentucky, they did use him like that. You know, uh, you have some stats on, you know, uh, throws, uh, you know, catches that were at the line of scrimmage or behind. So they just – they really did use him at as like an all-or-nothing type uh, wide receiver. Yeah, and did you read his stats from this year? 
It's just as basic stat line. I mean, 1,300 receiving yards. Yeah, I mean, 104 catches, 1,334 receiving yards, seven touchdowns, seven drops. So, I mean, he got 140 targets, so that's an incredibly high catch rate. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy high catch rate. But you have to think about it like this. Wondell Robinson had a class high. 34% of his targets come from at or behind the line of scrimmage. That was a class high. Now, it's not necessarily, hey, like oh, this is this is a player issue. I think it's a it's not even a it's not even an issue. It's just hey, it's it's a part of his evaluation where thirty four percent of his targets that's class high that's coming from out or behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of manufactured production while not facing press man consistently. It makes me a little concerned on how he can translate to the next level. But here's what I'm gonna here's some good stats that I'm gonna give you, and then also why I'm excited about what he can do for the Giants. Twenty two missed tackles this year, six most in the nation. 16 deep catches, 6th most in the nation. 553 deep yards, 12th in the nation. 35 screen catches, 3rd in the nation. 268 screen yards, 4th in the nation. A lot of those stats that I just read off that was a little bit more advanced, it is kind of based on volume. Hey, got a lot of targets. Got a lot of catches. That's why you're leading the nation in those deep catches. That's why you're leading the nation in those deep yards. But it's still a thing. It's not like you didn't do it. And so like- I feel like in this evaluation of Wondell Robinson calling him a reach, yeah, it's like, you know, the production and the and the volume doesn't tell the full story, but he still did it. It's not like he didn't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But 104 same- catches is insane. Is insane for a collegiate season that isn't 18 games like the NFL. But the deep catches are very real. Like, he got a lot of respect on deep catches, and he was able to use leverage and, and that speed that he has. You know, again, it's not the greatest speed you've ever seen, um, but it's really good speed, and he gets upfield in a, in a hurry, man. Like, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, we talk about protecting guys. Well, now we have the guy, that, you know, protecting the QB. It's like, man, before this, you know, this guy even gets to the back of his drop, he's 20 yards downfield, yeah. and he's getting this, you know, like Lewis uh, sign out of Georgia, ruining his leverage and then beating him back across the field. Like, those things are real. And, again, he has some route-running stuff to work on to get better at that. Like, he's a deep threat, uh, and I think he's really going to be – they're going to try and use him like that, and then obviously in the intermediate part of the game where he can get better in his route-running and – and be asked to run more of the route tree, you know? Yeah. That's one reason why I have hope for his, some of his route running getting better is because they didn't – you asked him to do much of the route tree. So how much route running was he worked on? Like right. the route – the most basic route that he ran a lot was a speed out. That really that really was it. Um, and I think because he didn't – he wasn't asked to run it enough, that's why you're – you're maybe giving away and you're leaning or you know you're not you're not making sharp cuts and you're kind of forecasting where you're going to go because you know, if you're not doing multiple things you're not being asked to do those things consistently um like you know he needs coaching like when Wendell Robinson needs coaching in terms of his his route tree and stuff like that and i know sometimes this gets joked around about he has that dog in him he really does go look sure. at Iowa that last drive of the game they needed 80 yards to win the game and score down four Needed 80 yards. You know how many fucking yards Wandale Robinson got? Whoa. 86. 86. Because he'd make a play, they'd take a sack. He'd make the play. He'd make the play. They'd take a sack. Then he'd made that final play before they punched it into the one-yard line. That type of stuff. He Will Levis, man, laid him out the dry. Laid him out the dry where he took some freaking hits and was able to hold on to the ball at times. Um you know, and something that doesn't get mentioned a lot. There's a lot of times where he was it was thrown behind him, and he would just contort and and you know make a play on the ball. Like there's a lot to like about Wandale Robinson. If you liked other wide receivers before him, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because there was guys I like, but there's things that Wandale Robinson can do that other wide receivers in the NFL can't. Um, so, and this is something that Brian Dable has used. They've used shorter guys. They even call them the Smurfs in Buffalo. Well, even I think I almost think. Man, does does Kafka and the Chiefs? I'll say the Chiefs and not not Kafka. But do the Chiefs not have 
a little bit of a better pedigree of taking these kind of funky, average, meh wide receivers and still having an explosive offense. Now, it really helps when you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. But isn't I think that's what almost makes me feel a little bit better. Where if this was the Chief, if this was the Bills, then like all right, you sign Cole Beasley and he's Cole Beasley. He's good. Uh, you know, you got Gabriel. Gabriel Davis would be the one guy that's like, oh, this really worked. But it's those two brains that are coming together that make me feel good. And and listen, if you have to manufacture targets, I'm cool with it. Like I, I don't mean to talk about this 34 percent targets coming from behind or at the line of scrimmage as uh, as a bad thing. You know, if you have to manufacture those targets, I'm cool with. And one of the things that our offense has had in common the last couple of years, and this is a bad thing, there's no easy plays, Bobby. There's no easy plays. Everything is so, so difficult. There needs to be perfect timing, perfect blocking, the perfect pre-snap read. Nothing is easy. If one of those, uh, if if Robinson could be one of those main sources of easy plays that sustain drives, like you were talking about, in a league of explosive plays and in when, you know, when teams are going to start playing more too high on the defensive side of the ball, you know, to get those, you know, 15 to 19 yard gains or those 10 to 12 yard gains that just sustain drives, that's extremely, extremely valuable. And Wendell Robinson does have that ability to have those yards after the catch plays. You know, he's not one of the best in this class at yards after the catch per reception, but he is pretty solid in that. And you even just watch the tape. It's there. He has that dog in him, right? So that's the main thing. But also at the same time, I just don't know. I don't know in my brain and envisioning Wondell Robinson. I don't know if I can envision a player getting these 700 receiving yard plus seasons consecutively when he kind of needs a very specific role. That's my worry. To start, he needs a specific role. But again, his route, like he has the ability to become a really good route runner and learn how to be like an every down slot wide receiver. You know, like he has the speed, he has the agility, he has the ability to work. And again, Nebraska used him as a gadget player. They didn't ask him to be a slot watcher. They yeah. used him as a gadget player. And then Kentucky, you know, I really like their offensive coordinator. I think his name is uh, Liam Cohen. Like they were using him as like all or nothing. And it worked, you know, yeah. it, it worked for the tune of 1,300 yards. And he had, it they the used him as over 100 catches, you know. They used him as an all or nothing player and he still found a way to get 104 catches. Yeah, well, no, I mean, when I say nothing, I don't mean like nothing on a play. I mean like we're either going freaking twenty plus or yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going yeah. to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, you know, so like it works. You know, so like you know, again, I think sometimes we forget about college coaches. It's not to make these guys the best players; it's to get the most wins. Yeah. You know, uh, so it's like you know, would I rather work on you know your route running, or should I work on you know getting you wide ass open in space, or throwing you a smoke screen because I know you can do uh, a lot with that. So I think this pick is gonna be evaluated on. The Giants traded down twice, and guys like John Mechie, Jalen Tolbert, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore, they all went after Wendell Robinson was picked. All wide receivers who at least the consensus, who at least the consensus had ranked ahead of Robinson. And I think that's going to par- partially be how this draft pick is evaluated. The only one name you mentioned. Sky Moore. Is like Alec Pierce. Oh, Al- oh Alec Pierce that you would put I'm ahead. not. I, I, I think Wandale and Sky were kind of on the same level. Um, Alec Pierce is the one where I, I was like, man, that that one hurt a little bit because Alec Pierce can—he's big, but they're also very two very it. different types of players, and probably it comes down to Joe Shane and Kafka. Um, excuse me, uh, Brian Dable and Kafka don't have that type of vision for what they wanted to add a wide receiver, right? Like a bigger guy. All right, let's hit the next pick, top of the third round, round three, pick sixty-seven. Josh Azudu, offensive lineman out of UNC, six foot four, three hundred eight pounds, thirty four inch arms. Justin, 
He's athletic. That's the first thing you notice with him. He's got very, very quick feet. He knows how to get, you know, work them pretty well. He started at left tackle, right tackle, and left guard. Then you'd be like, oh, well, that's kind of, that happens in college, right? UNC did this weird thing where they would switch him to left guard and left tackle mid-drive. Mid-drive. It's he, like Joe Judge on steroids. And he did well at it. You know, versus FSU. He was moving to left tackle, and they'd have him fish him against Jermaine Johnson. And guess who won the battle, the matchup? The matchup. The matchup. I just mixed up matchup and battle. Sure. Who won the, the battle versus Jermaine Johnson? Azudu. Joshua Azudu is the one who won that battle. So, again, uh, very athletic for the wide zone with te- uh, technical work needed is like the, you know, just the main bullet point. Um, he's a, just very flexible with very quick quick foot speed. Like you watch him in pass pro, his feet are constantly moving. They're just, just high, bam, 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 like good feet, foot chop. And he just really flexible hips. You put him in the outside zone, he flips his hips. You use him as a puller, like you see him get out and move and, and work angles. If a guy, you know, jumps, you know, like tries to jump in, bam, he's turning there with him. Like that's the thing that shows off is the athleticism with those quick, rapid feet with just like a great mirror and lateral ability for that guard spot. Um, here's the main thing he needs to work on his hands. His hands are really bad. Mm. And I, and I do think I wouldn't throw him into the starting lineup right away, even though he would be the most athletic guard on the team, you know, like on the team that includes Mark Lewinsky. He would be the most athletic uh, guard on the team, um, because his hands need real work, you know, uh, and pass pro, they come in, uh, like low and they're, and they're outside doesn't punch as great. And in the run game there, that's where they're the worst is in the run game. Um, they come like it, they don't even just always come in like high and late. They could, they just don't come. Like he just will throw his shoulders into guys and they're able to slip off them. That's stuff he needs to really work on. He really lunges into the run game. Um, but again, th- that's the stuff you want to work with. And that's what we talked about at the top where like these coaches believe they can work with an athletic guy like Joshua Zudin and work those hands, you know, but I think out of everybody, I feel the the best and most confident in Azudu. It, re- it really what it comes down to with me is, do we trust Bobby Johnson? That's the thing. Yeah, we we it's you know Bobby Johnson at Buffalo doesn't have like some great track record of of developing guys, um, but and, and also it comes down to the player, like how hard is the player yeah. going to work in Josh yeah. Azudu and work at those things? Because you know as much as like we don't know if Bobby Johnson is is a really good O line coach or a bad O line coach, like he's not an idiot. He's going to teach him how to yeah. you know to work his hands and stuff. How does he? How does he get there? Where Mark Colombo, you know, with Andrew Thomas's issues, tried to teach everything backwards. He tried to teach it from top down, where you know, as you you want to work from the feet up when you're working on a young player. Um, so, and he's got long arms, you know, that extend, you know, when when he does, uh, you know, get in the breastplate. And I think he's got decent hand replacement. Can get a little better in the pass game. Um, again, he's athletic. They want to run wide zone. I know the, uh, you know, the next offensive lineman out of UNC is not the most athletic guy. He's kind of big and lumbering. Talk to me as a puller. As a puller, I mean, he moves really quick and he like, he's very smart with it. Like he's a high IQ player. I have tight and patient. Yeah. Like he's not like just, there's some guys who pull and they're just like a bat out of hell. He's like, he's patient with it, but he's also got the athleticism. The thing he just needs is he, just like in just a regular run game, he needs to use his hands. And that's why in gap uh, runs, he struggles because he doesn't, he just really leans in, lunges the guy, and some faster D linemen are going to swim that. They're going to, they're going to, you know, have him falling on his face. They're going to, you know, jump out of one gap and he'll end up, you know, leaning forward and, and whiffing on a block. Like that stuff needs to get worked on. But when you're running the wide zone where it's more based on feet, like he does a really good job getting out there, moving in space, and then flipping those hips around and sealing guys off. All right, so how do you fix the hands? 
I mean, you just work on it. Like it's it's working on the sled, you know, working in practice, work, work, work your hands, work your hands, work your hands. You know, uh, you know, I'm not going to coach him up on this podcast, but like that needs to be the emphasis with him. People are going to call this a reach. I actually don't mind him being picked in this third round. Like I, you know, I don't get too much caught up on like where I, I say guys, but I have him like as a late third. I feel more confident. And this is where I will get a little bit like I don't like this pick as much. It's not because he was picked in the third round. But Dylan Parham to me was a much better prospect. Mm. Like I think Dylan Parham is like a, was a late second round, you know, the guard out of Memphis. Um, you know, he was six foot three. Uh, you talk about weight issues. Well, you know, Josh Azudu was five pounds less at an inch taller. Um, now Azudu I think has a better anchor than Parham, but Parham Parham to me was a was a was a, a like a good solid b- above player than Azudu. You know, I like a guy like Zach Tom. You know, um, you know, not as much higher. Uh, than Azuda, but higher. Uh, I, that's that's what the hangup is. Is that Dylan Parham was on the board, but I do like I like do like Josh Azuda, Um And if he really works on those hands, he's going to be a good pass blocker, and he's going to be good in that you know that wide zone run scheme. Uh, projection comparison. I'm sure people want to weigh him against Will Hernandez. So let's start with him, and then maybe we'll go to like Lemieux. I mean, he's just a totally different player. Than Will Hernandez. Will Hernandez was kind of slow in short area. Uh, he kind of wasn't as flexible, but Will Hernandez kind of brought that punch with shorter arms and was kind of like good in that gap stiff and he couldn't really move move as well. So he's he's like a very different player than Will Hernandez. Shane Lemieux. Um, more athletic. You already way, said that. Way better mirror ability. That okay. which is Shane Lemieux's uh, biggest issue is mirror ability. But Shane Lemieux. Um, hey, as, Shane Lemieux in the 30 snaps that we saw against Denver was mirroring pretty damn well. Shane Lemieux was better with his hands and in the and uh, you know Shane Lemieux was better with his hands in the run game and the gap scheme, but he's not as flexible uh, as able to run that outside zone, and he has short arms. So again, I think the hope is is that Shane Lemieux work your way back, Azudu, give him some time. Yes, give Azuda some time. Again, this is this is year one of a rebuild. You don't need to rush these guys in. Let them work on their craft instead of just throwing them in. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Week four, if Chan Lemieux is playing bad or Max Garcia is playing yeah. bad, am I going to want to see Josh uh, Azudu? Yes. Um, oh, this is a yeah. This is a question uh, that I'm going to ask you with the lineman. Uh, Azudu, Max Garcia. I mean, Max Garcia has been in the, been in the NFL. For yeah, it's a, a, long t- time. it's a tough it's a tough question, but I'm I like putting you on the spot because you're the old line guy. Yeah, I mean Max Garcia—he's been in the NFL for a long time. He's not very good, um, but if you're asking me to play tomorrow, yeah, I'm playing Max Garcia. Okay, he doesn't have those as bad issues with the hands. I like his feet. I like his feet, man. Uh, I- I'm a sucker for players that are active, players that are keeping their feet chopping, players that have a wide base. Um, and, and those are some of the things that hey, you know, when when Justin Pennick uh, turns on a computer and he starts watching some some players, uh, and especially offensive line, uh, I'm looking for good feet. I'm looking to you know I, I can't stand when guys are when guys feet are in cement. It's like you're an NFL player, and uh, I can get hands being, I can get leaning sometimes, but if your feet are just stuck in cement, and if you're not agile enough to kind of keep those feet chopping, um, then I think that that's a huge problem. So it's nice to see that that part of his game is already there. It's already established that wide base um, seems to be kind of strong, seems to be a good athlete. So um, hey, just get those hands right, man. Yeah, yeah. So and you know, well, you pay attention to some other guys like Dylan Parham in the league, but. Justice and, and again, they worked. At, you know, Bobby Johnson worked these guys at the UNC Pro Day. You know, Joe Shane said he watched them live in a couple of games, which means he was watching them while he was at Buffalo. So, 
Um, they seem to like him. There's the, you know, he seems like a, just a really good person. You know, I, I, I like Josh Azuti. Yeah. All right, the second third round pick. Before we get into that, we're going to read an ad. Yes, this episode is sponsored by Roman. When the moment for int- intimacy arrives, you got to be ready. You got to be Roman ready. You're celebrating the Giants draft pick. You light some candles with your significant other. If you have a nice lady, you know, if you have a man in your life and, you know, he's having trouble getting it up, you want to be Roman ready. Whether you've been in that relationship for years or you're just getting started, you got to have the confidence that comes from preparation, which means you're free to enjoy the moment when it comes. So I want you to get Roman ready by go to GetRoman.com slash world. Talk Giants versus the world. Now to speak to a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about erectile dysfunction, get $15 off your first month of treatment. ED is more common than most people think. 52% of men ages 40 to 70, they'll experience some form of ED. I love Roman, how it's discreet. There's a U.S. licensed healthcare professional that will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. It ships you free with two-day shipping. Love that. Shipping can sometimes be a biatch. Love that. So go to GetRoman.com slash world today. And if you're prescribed, get $15 off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have the confidence and control this Breaking summer. news. Breaking news. Tom Peloroso. After weighing the options, uh, Just- Justin Ross will be signing with the Giants as an undrafted free agent with $250,000 of guaranteed money. I don't believe you because sometimes you pull my chain. It says with 250,000 guarantees. So I think he was holding out for the most guaranteed money he can get. It's it's a swing. I, oh, so this this seriously happened. You're not pulling it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, Okay. Uh, here's the thing is people are going to have all these expectations and if he gets cut, people will freak out. Um and but I don't think people will worry about too much though cuz I'm lying. I was literally oh, Come on. I was literally about to change my name back to Justin with the Y. Come on, man. Can I get and Justin Ross? I, I, that's not funny. <laughs> I think that the was the longest, that, that was the longest you ever went with, ever went with. Yeah. Cause like you that. called me out on it. So I had I the did. double, I had the double down. Yeah. On it. Are, we, are we done with the ad? Yeah. We're done with the ad. Uh, all right. Round three, pick 81 to finish off day two. LSU cornerback Cordell Flott, six foot, 170 pounds, uh, 175 pounds. So he's light and he's at a little weight. Um, and, and, you know, he does look skinny on the field, but 30 and one eighth in his arms. Justin, he's fun. He is a fun player to watch, and he's only 20 years old. He's a long, skinny, fast athlete that uh, – He's one of the youngest players in the draft. Yeah, he needs some work, and he operated mostly as a nickel. Also, I can see eventually him working to an outside corner in the NFL. Nickel right away, uh, and, you know, that's what they said. But, like, I, I can see – I can see the vision – that down the road he can work outside. Is it just as simple as that projection as gain more weight? Is that the is that the projection? No, there? he needs more. I think he needs more technical work, which we'll get to. He is fast as hell, man. Like his speed is really good. His change of direction speed is beautiful, and he just like when he's in a back pedal, he explodes out of that out of that back pedal. Um, you know, he can like he's when he's like when he gets connected, he sticks in that hip, and like if he's not, he recovers well and can get into the catch space and get those arms out there. Um, but he is a little bit of a project. Uh, you know, again, he's young, but you know they didn't throw him at a lot, man. He was athletic as hell. Um, I just think here's the, what his weaknesses are and why he is this athletic guy who's being taken in a late third instead of a second round. Although I do think 
if he had some good coaching next year with Brian Kelly and LSU and he stayed for a year at 21 years old, I think he's an early day two, late first. Like I think he's one of those guys that rises. That's fair. I and agree with that. That's why I, I like this pick a lot for Wink Martindale, even though you know the whole consensus will call it a reach. Um, but the reason it's called a reach is, one, he's, he's a nickel corner, but uh, not much press experience. I think he struggles at the release. Um you know, which can be rooted in footwork. Uh, he will lose leverage, and then will kind of. This at that time he'll overextend. Um, so you know, when they're breaking on a curl, breaking, it's like okay. Then he's he's playing from behind at that time, and there's times where he does get beat deep. Not always get the ball thrown, but he does get beat deep. Um, but at nickel, you have a little more safety help. Um, he just there's just too much space there, um, and there's a couple missed assignments that I saw and some and not great pattern recognition. Um, I basically long story short, I think route sell from a wide receiver, which is something we talked about a lot in the pre-draft, my, can yeah, throw my, him off. My biggest critique is I feel like he's waiting for the double move. I feel like he's waiting for a wide receiver to have a double move and then go upfield. Whereas trust your instincts, this guy's just running a crosser. He's just going to cut in the middle of the field. He's waiting for that double move for that guy to cup straight upfield. So then he allows that separation at the stem of the route. And I think that's one of, I think honestly think that's his main issue, but sometimes he'll allow that separation. He has that quickness. He has that speed to fit in that back guy, that the the guy's back pocket, and then he can make plays on the football, which I think that's honestly one of the best parts of his game is that sometimes he does leave that little separation. He has that closing speed and then boom, he makes plays on the football and those guys were crossing routes and the crossing routes, defending those crossing routes is so huge in a man coverage system like Wink Martindale runs because crossing routes are man coverage beaters. Yeah, man. And I, I think, I just think he's going to get better. Like, I think this is a player who's going to get better. And we could look at, you know, I don't want to predict this a late third round pick, but I can, I, I can see us looking back and be like, man, look at one of the better corners in the league, uh, or at least one of the better nickel corners in the league, picking in the third round by the Giants, Joe Shane and, and Wink Martindale. Um, Sneaky good blitzer too. I don't know if you want to get there yet. Well, yes, let's get into it. One, he's a high energy player going at it. You know, he's punching the ball when he's helping in the run game. He's extremely involved in the run game. Just plays with high energy, um, and I think he's versatile. There's times. When they would go into their base package, they didn't want to take him off the field. So what would they do? They'd put him as a single high safety, you know, and he didn't get like a ton thrown at him there because they're in their base package and they're expecting run plays at that time. But like he was there. There was times where he was like getting to the he was getting to the sideline from center field from there. You know, they would, uh, you know, Central Michigan tested Derek Stingley and like he got he went all the way from center field and was there at the throw. Yeah. Like he, he I mean, he's just fast. His change of direction speed is is great, and he just explodes out of his back pedal, man. He's a fast player. Again, he's, he needs he's got a lot of work on to to work on, and that's why a guy with his athletic profile in that age um, is being drafted in the late third round pick. But I don't care what anybody says. To me, this is not a reach. You know, and a guy like Eric Crocker, who I the guy who I respect most yep. watching DBs, really likes him. I don't view this as a reach. You know, we talked about it with Wandale. You can call that a reach, and it'd be fair. You know, he can do some uh, different things. Uh, Josh Azuto, I uh, 100% believe there were better offense, interior offense alignment on the board. Flot, to me, is not a reach at all, especially at a cornerback position where I think you do invest in traits a little more in the mid-rounds instead of, you know, maybe a guy who has some good technique but doesn't have the speed uh, or, or, you know, plays long. You know, like, I, I love this flop pick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I want to get to some numbers and where he kind of lined up and, you know, some completion percentage stuff. So uh, I talked about him being a sneaky good blitzer and kind of poking his nose in the backfield. Uh, he's about that action. He doesn't shy away from action just because he's 175 pounds. He had four and a half tackles for loss, 
um, in 2020. He had four passes deflected in each of the last three years. 2021 was the first year he logged over 500 snaps. This year it was 599, 357 snaps in the slot, 178 snaps outside, 42 snaps in the box, 21 deep snaps uh, this year in terms of the completion percentage. 51.1% completion rate allowed, 23 completions, 45 attempts, 249 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. He was top 50 in the nation this year in man coverage snaps. Not a lot of press experience, but slot corners typically aren't in press a ton. But I was happy to see that, hey, this guy has arms that are a little bit longer than 30 inches. He's a little bit of a longer player, and he has a lot of experience in man coverage. That's exactly kind of what you're looking for in a Wink Martindale defense. He gave up two touchdowns this year. Played sure. in the SEC, right? A lot of fast wide receivers in the SEC. You know who one of those two touchdowns was against? You know who it was? he said was his toughest competition in the oh. SEC? Tell me. Wandale Robinson. Mm. We're going to mm. talk about that with Dane Belton, too, when we get to him. Yeah. Um. All right, we good on Cordell? Yeah, he's a confident player, too. I think another guy where if you – Very confident. If, I like him. I like the swag he plays with. <laughs> he is one of those guys, by the way, that he will celebrate – Yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> he will celebrate an incompletion if it's a terrible, terrible throw, but it's somewhat thrown towards him. There was one play, I think it was against Auburn. Bad throw on the sideline, but it was on Auburn's sideline. Incomplete points at somebody on the sideline. <laughs> and it was uh, it was really, really cool. So, hey, you know, if you usually hate that, shut up. You got to like it now. I, you, you, play, you play with that swag. I, I like it. All right, day three, baby. One of, I think, a lot of Giants fans' favorite picks and who I think to start the fourth round, I think should be a starter from day one. With round four, pick 112, San Diego State tight end Daniel Bellinger, six foot five, 253 pounds. Uh, had a good combine testing, you know, four, six, three, 40. Surprisingly third. good. Yeah. Uh, you know, 22 bench press reps, uh, you know, four, four, seven shuttle. His stats at San Diego State weren't good. A lot of that was scheme. You know, I thought Jeremy Rucker got a lot of, oh, he's going to have more production in yeah. the NFL because scheme. Bull crap. He might have a little more, but Bellinger was the one who suffered from scheme at San Diego State. I want to get this out of the way. 31 catches this year, so even that number isn't great within itself, but only four of them came from 10-plus yards down the field. His average depth of target was less than four yards, which is, like, insane. That's like Caden Smith in 2020, like, low. Um, zero drops in 2021, 4% drop rate in his career. So those are some of the some of the stats that hey you don't really love um, the not being targeted deep down the field but that's not due to any of his kind of doing or his ability as a player. Well, again, his speed is for his size is pretty good. It's mo it's modest, yeah. you know. Um, you know, it's not great. And please don't share with me Travis Kelsey's relative yeah. athletic score. We need to cancel relative athletic scores. It seems like everybody has a perfect relative athletic score. Um, These are NFL players. They're supposed to be athletic. And again, with that speed, he's like he's a solid player, but he doesn't have like that wow ability where he's stretching the yeah. field or anything. The best thing about Bellinger is that, like, hey, you know, you're you're taking in day three, so I'm sure you're not going to be an elite ball player. But the nice thing about Bellinger compared to a lot of other tight ends in this class is that he's not weak in any particular area. He, he like Agreed. there is there is no like strong weakness where you can. That's really what point, I wanted my tight end. Where you can point to him and say. Hey, unless you're an elite guy, unless you're just this elite, like Kyle Pitts kind of prospect uh, where that sh you should be expected to do that. But day three, to just be like this reliable football player, I think Daniel Bellinger is going to easily be a reliable guy. And he has that upside where he kind of can give you something, whether it is uh, being physical, sneaky athletic. So... 
Bellinger is certainly not a boring player, and he's certainly not a uh, a bad player at day three. And again, he's going to have more production in the NFL. Scheme screwed him. Um, again, I, I this, we we kind of knew fourth round was going to be the sweet spot for the tight end, and they get that uh, in Bellinger. Yeah. And I talk about, oh, his speed isn't great, but his get off is good. You know, a lot of times it's, it's you know, there's a guy who can run long, but yeah. his get off isn't good. There's a lot of tight ends that kind of lumber off the line. He does not, whether no. that's as a run blocker, whether that's in the past. He game. looks like an athlete getting off the line of the scrimmage, you know, and getting into and out of his routes. It's very smooth. Like he's very smooth. Now, uh, part of that is he can, can uh, round his routes out a little bit too much, and he's not like getting these great cuts on them. Um, but you mentioned zero drops. That's not just him catching the ball. He's a technician catching the ball. Like mm. he catches, like you know, if you're a wide receivers coach and you're working on catching, like watch. He, like, he has teach tape the way he catches the ball because he catches it and he you know tucks it and gets it upfield. You know how Joe Judge used to like we always see him. Highlights. Oh yeah, like that's that what, was his th- that was his thing in training. He wouldn't have to do it with Daniel Bellinger. Like he's he does that really well. And again, he's not going to get you a ton of yak. Uh, you know, being elusive, but he fights for every single yard you can get. And that paired with that ability to like hey catch turn tuck get up field uh like that's really nice um and as a blocker he does he's not a great blocker right now but he fires in the blocks he fires into them well he doesn't sustain them all the times and when he's singled up against a guy he can get shed but he pins down really well and he he i think he's with that frame with that you know that fire in the uh in in the blocking game he's going to become a better run blocker uh grow into that in the nfl justin this is what we've been wanting from a tight end, is what Dan, Daniel Bellinger is. Again, not some huge speed mismatch uh, who can't block. Like he's, like you said, he's solid enough at everything. That's what I want yeah. out of my tight ends, and that's what Daniel Bellinger is. And that was a huge need for the Giants. Because at the end of the day, Ricky Seals-Jones and Jordan Aikens shouldn't be your starting no. Tens, no. tight ends. And again, we try to be have realistic expectations on this podcast and with the draft, but I don't care if he was drafted to start around four. Daniel Bellinger should be starting by the midpoint of this season, and if he has a good camp and this and this coaching staff isn't as afraid to play younger guys, uh, Daniel Bellinger is going to be an impact for the New York Giants as a rookie. Yeah, I was going to say, does he have? Does he end the year with the highest snap share at tight end? I hope so. I say yes. I really hope so. I say yes. So when you have two bad blocking tight ends who have never put up a ton of production, like Daniel Bellinger, I really like him, man. I think he's going to be. Uh, a better version of what Caden Smith was the rookie year uh, for Daniel Jones, man. Yep. He's got that height. He's he got the contested catch ability. Like, I, I didn't bring that up. He has good contested catches. Yeah, and with that in mind, seeing how physical he is, uh, you know, hey, at the catch point, that's phrase, his good get off and his solid speed. I'm excited. To, I didn't think I was going to have this point. I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, these Dable Kafka crossers. I think he can be a weapon in that. There were, there's, you know, hey, like, I think I liked a guy like Jake, Jake Ferguson more. I couldn't envision a guy like Jake Ferguson running those crossing routes over the middle of the field. But Daniel Bellinger, hey, he's not a he's not gonna, you know, uh beat anybody with speed, but I could see it. I could see him doing it. I had him as the fifth tight end. The only guy that I had above him that was available was Charlie Kohler. That was that was the okay. only one. Um here's how I think Bellinger's gonna separate himself in the NFL, where he can go from an average to good tight end. I think he needs to get in this mindset to play like a madman. Play like a madman. Play like a bat out of hell. I think he does, though. I mean, you watch I, him when he has the ball in his hand as after a blocker, the catch. As a blocker, I don't think he does. He I, fires off I in want, the blocks. I want him to drive people. 
I think he I mean, has he's got to get ability. better with some of his technique and stuff. Like he, I, I think, think his technique issues. He I think fires what he does, off the ball well. Well, I know. Okay, you can a fire of, off the a ball. A lot of tight ends play block, get into the block passively. He doesn't do that. But I, you can fire off the ball, but he kind of just seals the edge. All elements of the game. I think playing like an absolute madman, whether it is with the because he's not going to be elusive with yards after the catch, be more than just the thumper, run people over, pu- push guys off the ball. I think not he, just sealing the edge as a blocker as well. I think he does do that. I mean, you watch sometimes when he gets his catch, and there's like five guys around his ankles trying to tackle him. He's just fighting, churning, churning, churning. And again, the blocking issues, like it's. I don't. It's think not it's, an I issue. Don't think it, I don't think it's about like him playing tough or harder. He. I mean, he comes off the ball quickly. He just doesn't sustain very well. Like he needs to work on some of his hand technique and stuff, and 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 you know, keeping a wider base into it with his feet. I don't have. I don't think it has anything to do with like him coming out of the gates, you know, harder or, or you know, like playing like crazier. So all right, all right. Round four, pick one fourteen. Two picks later, Dane Belton, safety out of Iowa, six foot one, two hundred five pounds. Uh, had five interceptions this past year. Justin versatile is the name of the game for Dane Belton. He's a versatile safety who lined up deep. The least of what he did was line up deep, and they didn't really ask him to do that a lot until this past season. Um, in the box, and then nickel. Nickel is where he lined up the most. I don't expect him to see him playing out in, on uh, slot wide receivers in the NFL, but I do think he can play on tight ends and stick in the hip. Like He's got fine speed when he's sprinting, but I think he really lacks that good change of direction. And you saw it when he was lined up on Wandale Robinson. Like Wandale Robinson cooked him a few times, and Wandale's one of those quick-twitch uh, quick athletes. Um, so... Uh, you're going to deal with guys like that a lot in the NFL. So he's going to play. I think he can, you know, split out when the tight ends split out. But I want. I'm not going to put him on slot wide receivers. But I will put him on mismatched tight ends. I do think Dane Belton's good at that. He's very physical to press guys up at the stem of the route. Like he he really works beautifully. Like at the stem to get hands on and then fight for that inside leverage when they're working those crossers. But again, he, he kind of struggles with that change of direction and led him getting cooked by a guy like Wandale Robinson, second guy who uh, who got beat pretty bad by Wandale um, in this draft class. Um, and zone coverage, uh, he's got his eyes on the QB. Uh, some good instinctive plays. Uh, I think there's times where he can be a little more instinctual. It's kind of hit or miss, but he had some really nice uh, interceptions with his instincts. Um, and I was watching some stuff from 2020 where it's like, man, go, go, go. Re- you know, trust trust what you're seeing with the pattern. In the box, um, he he doesn't play aggressive in the box, but he does play smart. Um, and when he's given when he's given the green light, like go shoot the gap blitz, he does do well. Like he's 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 quick with that. But he's not like an aggressive or downhill when he's lined up in the box. He kind of lets the action come to him, and it can use hands to to move guys off of him. Um, so he he doesn't have like that quick trigger aggression uh, in the box the way like Jabril Peppers did in the box. So um, that's a little weird. But I think really he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to cover. He's he's versatile, and again he's a fourth round pick. And I I do view um, Belton as as somewhat of a reach, uh, but he's a versatile guy. Uh, who can do a lot of things, and Wink Martindale values that. Yeah, I, I kind of coverage. I kind of am a little meh on on Belton. Um, he went to a Jesuit high school. I, I went to a Jesuit high school, so um, you're automatically a little bit more favorable in my book there. The thing that is most impressive to me is just the ball skills and the ball production at college. Um, five past uh, five past deflections in 2020, 12 in 2021. He was second in the Big Ten in interceptions this past year. 
Um, six and a half tackles for loss this past year too. So again, this is something that yeah. you know Wink Martindale. Uh, I, I know he, you know he's going to be kind of looking at trying to get these guys in the backfield and whatnot. I think it takes good and safe risk breaking uh, to the ball in coverage. Yeah. And I think that's where you see, you know, hey, uh, that this is where the 12 uh, PDs come from um, in 2021. Yeah, he's not the most passive guy, but he's also not the most – so he's kind of like patient. Like, yeah. I, I think that's like a, a really good like – like uh, like what was it, like patient with – what was the word you – the phrase you used? I don't know. It's a good question. But, but Yeah, but so like, yeah, listen, ago. he's not passive. There are some guys who are super passive and there's some guys who are super aggressive. I do think he finds a decent balance on that. Good but and safe risks. Yeah, good and safe risks. There's times where it's like, hey, you can pull the trigger and go on some stuff. But for the most part, you know, he's kind of doing his job. Zero penalties in 2021 and only two in his entire career. Which is interesting for a guy who's very handsy at the stem of the route, you know. Um, so, like, he knows how to do that. Like, he knows how to do that. And then get in the hip of uh, of the player, and now we're just you know working as that trailer. I don't think he plays like his combine numbers. I think his combine numbers are actually kind of good in terms of like explosivity. I don't think he plays like that. I think the the forty time like a four four three. I think that's true. I think the change of direction stuff um, isn't isn't very good. Like I think he struggles with change of direction speed. Just turned twenty one, so he has time. And one of the things that I want him to do, um, and it's a good thing that he just turned 21, I kind of want him to add a little bit more weight. I kind of want him to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, because uh, I think that he can be like this, hey, I think he can kind of develop into a little bit more of like a, a blitzer, tackle for loss guy, can, and, he conti- and he can continue when whenever he's in man coverage or whatever, continue to make good plays on the football. So right. I think he has time to develop that a little bit more, but still, I'm still walking away from the belt and pick, and I'm going, meh, you know? Yeah, I, I, I see that. Um, Early fourth rounder, consensus fifth to sixth. And again, yeah, I mean, I had him as a fifth. Doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Whatever consensus, media is wrong, but also the consensus is the consensus. And again, I think what people need to remember when we're breaking these guys down, we're going to talk about what they do well, what they don't do well. It's not like, you know, when I say like, we have 11 picks. They're not all going to be good. Yeah, like, like I, and like it I literally even, said to and start. It, and it doesn't mean that if Dane Belton is bad, that Joe Shane's a bad GM. No, not like, at all. Like, this is, this is the NFL draft. You don't get all these picks right. Um, you know, it's it's finding those guys that you think will be good and what they're good at. If four of these 11, like we said with that 2003 draft class where the Giants had 11, that's the last time they had 11 draft picks. And two of them were really good. And one of them was David Tyree, who was a special teams player and then he made one really like awesome elite best catch of all time so this, but this class i do think needs to be better than that like like neil and cave have to be great players but we still view that as like my point is we still view that as one of the best giants draft classes of all time yeah shows and how it, bad the giants drafting has been but um historically they're good historically they're good yeah or in the 80s they had some damn good draft yes. classes um yeah, so I mean, he's kind. Of, he's ver- versatile, is what he does. Sometimes you like, okay, versatile. He's he's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a jack of all trades, master of none, and I think that can be a fair yeah. critique for for Dane Bellin. Hey, Bobby, can you uh, can you do me a favor? No, I can't. Slide in the stacks of cash. Get whatever you want to ask me. You're gonna have to say it for later because I'm reading that. Slide in the stacks of cash this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets no matter what. Win or lose. 
Looking to turn a small bet into big, uh, big payday during MLB season with DraftKings Same Game Parlays? You can do just that. Create your own parlays by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how much ba- uh, bases will be stolen, total runs, and more. It's your shot at even a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code JOHNBOY. Bet just $5 and get $150 in free bets no matter what happens on the field. That's promo code JOHNBOY at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. MLB, MLB trademark used for with permission. And 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Justin. How many picks we got left? Four. Oh, boy. Four. And, there, and uh, I will say two fun ones. No, three fun ones. Two. F- one not fun. Two. F- the linebackers are fun. The offensive lineman is like, I don't know if he's ever going to be good. And fun. Then, the nose tackle. Uh, yeah. This one's fun. Micah McFadden, the linebacker at Indiana, with the, in the fifth round, pick 146, 6'1", 240 pounds. Um, had some really good production at Indiana this past year, six and a half sacks, 15 and a half tackles for a loss. And had 10 tackles for a loss the two seasons before. Yeah, 10 and a half, you know, then two interceptions with six sacks. Um, you know, in 2019, he had nine tackles for a loss and two interceptions. Justin, he's a fast, agile, blitzing linebacker. But he has strength issues. But his speed is for the linebacker spot is really good. He has good change of direction speed, and he, like he works laterally really well with good pad level. Um, so he's he, what he is. He's a downhill gap shooter. Yeah, and you know I, I need a slip under blocks type of guy. That's what he is. I've seen the Ryan Connolly um, comparison. I don't think he's as good as Ryan Connolly was uh, coming out of Wisconsin, but I do see some similarities there. Uh, with Michael McFadden, but again, he's going to be used as a blitzer, and we'll talk about Dan Beavens. Like these two guys are, are are very opposite, but in the in the run game, one he doesn't hit the trigger as fast and doesn't process as quick, and that's where I think Ryan Connolly is different. I think Ryan Connolly might have been a little was was better taking on blocks than Micah McFadden, but I mean he he gets eaten alive by blocks. Like the blocks come into his chest, and he just gets eaten up alive. Um, if they're down blocks, he just gets you know washed down out of the play. So the strength is a is a major issue. Again, he gets eaten up on blocks um, when he's blitzing because he is a blitzing linebacker and it, it, you know gets good hands. He just gets stonewalled. He gets popped. Now he fights and continues to fight through and can make an impact. But that initial one, like he's he's not the linebacker that's going to come and just bring the pop to an offensive lineman and get him on his heels. Um, that being said, in coverage, like really good in man coverage. All right, like. Uh, linebackers don't cover tight ends in the NFL that much anymore. He can cover tight ends. I mean, he can run. He can get his ha- uh, hands in the hips and zone coverage. He plays with some decent instincts when he's playing. You know, shallow zones. He's rerouting guys. So again, he's speed and agility, and you know that quick trigger when he's blitzing. You know that lateral ability. You know he can make. He can. He's going to make offensive linemen look silly at times. It's just with Michael McFadden. The reason he's here at, at, at round five is he just can't be that every. Like when you're playing against a gap scheme, he's gonna get eaten alive by blocks. I like Mike McFadden, Bobby. He's fun. I like him. He's a, he's a, he's he's a fun player. These these are the players that I fall for. I fall in love with them. The balls to the wall, go 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 mentality. Um, fast, explosive, agile. Plays like a madman. Plays like a psychopath. High intensity player. Love guys like that. Whenever he makes a good play, too. If you like flow sideline to sideline, gets up. Always has like some kind of reaction from it. And I, I, I like that. Um, 2019 and 2020, I'm going to give you a little quiz. There's a certain category that the Ravens led the league in in 2019 and 2020. They led the league in this category. And it's going to be very, very important for how Micah McFadden could possibly be successful with the Giants. What is that category? Inside linebacker blitzes. 
be a little bit more general with the blitz with the blitzes category and like the result of them. A gap blitzes. A gap blitzes. How about untouched pressures? Untouched pressures. Untouched pressures. You are correct. 2019, 2020. It was a very vague question. Uh, 2019, 2020, the Ravens led the league in untouched pressures. So guess what? If Micah McFadden can't handle the contact, if he can't handle the strength of interior offense alignment, if he can't handle that, Wink Martindale, get going, bud. Get going with scheming this pressure up. Because if Micah McFadden is untouched, he's going to cause, we're late enough in the show, he's going to cause fucking mayhem. And I love that. And and he's a, he's going to be more valuable on third down when it's third and eight. You can line him up down at the long scrimmage on the A gap, where you're like, hey, you, you know, he's going to get a one on one. He can make an off. You and know. you feel good about him dropping back at the coverage, right? Exactly. So it's it's not one so, of those things where it's just, hey, if you're out here, we know what you're going to do. It's hey, if you're out here, we don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, you can use him in disguise looks. So he's uh, you know, again, he's a fifth round pick, but like he can be a weapon for Wink Martindale. You know, yeah. again, he's not going to be that every down. You know, is you know on on second and one. Are you going to necessarily want him in the game? No, um, but he can be a weapon for Wink Martindale. Yeah. Think he's uh, already a career special teamer. We're at the point in the draft where I guess we have to mention those things. A career special teamer has a very very large neck. Did you notice that? No. Do you ever see a picture with him without wearing a without wearing a helmet? Very very large neck. It looks like his head and his and his neck is like that's a linebacker as one body part. Whereas forty seven for John Lynch. So kind of rooting for Ooh, McFadden. That's kind of sick. I'm rooting for McFadden to get 47. A guy, how old is he? Do you have the age on him? Um, I will look it up right now. Give me one second. And he's wearing it for John Lynch? That is kind because of we that's both, a, that's a That's a football guy right we there. Both, uh, we both uh, grew up with uh, John Lynch for, for a hot sec. So. See, like, I'm surprised. You know, like, he's, a, 22. A, he's 22. Uh, I'm surprised 22-year-olds kind of have that John Lynch you know, memory to, yeah. you know, to like wear that number for him. So I, get, I hope he gets to keep number 47. I, I do, too. Um. All right. Next on this list, uh, nose tackle out of Arizona State, round five, pick one forty-seven. DJ Davidson, six foot three, three hundred twenty-seven pounds. Um, he's the only oldie on this list. Like he's going to be a grandpa yeah. at rookie camp. He'll be twenty-five years old when the season. He's starts. like Bayless Jones Jr. old. This is the pick. Oh, I- can I mention something? Yes. Cardell Flott is a cousin of Bayless Jones Jr. And I did not bring that up before. We should have brought that up. Shit. Where did Bayless go? He went kind of early. He went round three. Yeah, good for him. This draft was nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the pick I like the least. You know, he is a nose tackle. He's older. Um, I think he has a little too much upper body weight on him. He's an af- average athlete for like that nose tackle spot, and he's just simply a two down run stuffer. Um, his best get off, I think, is like he has he has d- decent get off, but he's not a he never will be a pass rusher. His best thing is he has like the upper body strength, which is good for wrestling matches. And he'll have his eyes in the backfield, and if a running back's coming through his gap, he can sh- he can shed and make that tackle right there. But that's where like the the like the that's where the buck stops. That's where the compliments stop for me. He plays, and here and this is the a major issue. He plays just so high. Watch him play, man. His pad level. I mean, he plays straight up and down, and that's an immediate turnoff. For Especially me. at twenty five years old, man. I don't get turned on. Especially when you're when you're going to be twenty five years. Like you need to be able to be, play with pad, uh, better pad level. He plays way too high. And stiff, like, and there's too many times where he's giving up ground or being pinned down, you know. Um, so again, he's got good upper body strength, good hand strength to shed blockers for tackles. So you know, he puts up some decent tackle numbers. Um, but he's just one. He's an he's an inconsistent player who's not going to make enough good reps to play. Like uh, I was hoping that when you know they drafted this guy in the fifth round, it's like okay, maybe this guy can overtake Justin Ellis at some point. But I honestly don't think DJ Davidson 
will ever be a guy who plays more than 15% of snaps in a season. Yeah, Lance Zerline had a round seven grade on him, and I'm pretty sure I had him as a U. Or like when if I did, I didn't do him pre-draft, but if I did, I would pet him as a UDF. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, friend, uh, Dame uh, Bugler of the Athletic. Brugler. Brugler. Good lord, you did need it to get that 75 right. times. Got it wrong this weekend. He had him as a uh, seventh pick. All right, so not a priority. Uh, not a priority UDFA. But uh, yeah, DJ Davidson. Um, here, here's one. Here's my high horse of a guy that was available that I would have preferred. John Ridgway. John Ridgway out of Arkansas. I very much would have uh, would have preferred him over DJ Davidson. And again, they're fifth round picks. So yes, are some one of at least one of these fifth round picks that they had are not going to be good players. Um, but like other guys, like you see the things you like. I just don't. There's no. I, there's very little I like about his game, and the issues he has are just huge issues. Usually, I find a guy in every single draft where I just don't see it. Last year. It was Gary Brightwell, 2020. It was T.J. Brunson, yep, uh, and Chris Williamson, who mm-hmm. both have never even been on, a, never like played a. I think T.J. Brunson got two snaps in there 2020 on defense. Good for him. The year before that was Chris Slayton uh, out of Syracuse, who never, never got any playing time. This year, my guy is uh is is D.J. Davidson. So. Congrats, DJ. What if all the draft picks listen to this podcast and like, man, these guys are pretty, you know, they they talk about what you're good at and you get D- a- man, feel bad for DJ Davidson. <laughs> he's about an hour and ten minutes in. He's like, All right. You know, they've they've had some critiques, but they've been like, all right, cool. And then they get to me. I'm like, ah shit. All right, let's Not get good. Let's get to these Wait, last. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. One thing. I'm getting hey, listen, it's 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 two fifteen AM. I'm getting a little getting a little loopy, all right? Um DJ Davidson wears glasses. I wear glasses. Um and he kind of has he sucks. the uh he kind of has the Rashawn Slater look going. He does look like Rashawn Slater. He's kind of got that look going. Maybe moving the tackle. Two good-looking men. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah. Next on that's a compliment. Next on this list, plus plus round five, pick one seventy-three. You're like round five again. Yeah, we had a ton of freaking freaking fifth round yeah, picks. Traded back twice. Draft. So we had four fifth round picks. This was the last of them. Marcus McKeithen, interior offensive line, out of UNC. So we mm. got two teammates on the team. Look at that. You're thinking, oh, interior offensive lineman. What's his size? Six foot six, three hundred forty pounds, and thirty five and a half inch arms. Sit down. This guy is a mammoth of a human being, a mammoth. And for that size, I think he's a solid athlete for his size. But he's not. But he's not going to be just you know, um, you know, be described as a good athlete. But mm. for his size, like you, you would think like, oh, fifth round, that size, this guy's going to be just slower than dirt. He's not. Um, but he is. He doesn't have good athleticism, and he is a bit stiff. But his strength and his anchor are just un, unreal. Marcus is never going to suffer from a bull rush. Like his his anchor is just a thing of beauty. Um, pass pro, I think his feet are good to start in the run too. But again, like like Joshua Zudu, his hands are really bad. Like they come in wide, they clamp. They sometimes they're clamping on the back of his shoulder pad, back of the shoulder pads, and it's every single time it's high and wide. Where Zudu's can be a little low. Uh, you know, coming low, like they're 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 you know coming from the behind his back. Um, they're coming from so freaking wide, um, and he struggles and with foot speed, and, like his mirror ability. Um, part of that too, though, is like when they would slide, and this is something uh, he needs to work on. Is like they'd have a slide protection, he'd be left uncovered, and there's pressure. Like there's a guy on his inside shoulder, but because he's sliding to the right. He just like was ignoring that, you know, and leaving it to the center. Like I think he needs to have better awareness helping out guys next to him when he's left uncovered, um, you know. And then again, like that foot mirror speed can get him the troubles versus you know p- faster NFL uh, pass rushers on the inside. 
Um, but when he does get those arms out, I mean, he, he has those long arms that keep guys out of his chest. And again, he's never going to be knocked back. He's never going to be bull rushed. Um, in the run game, I actually think his first two steps are good, but he does lunge and, and lean into guys. Uh, and again, if they're, you know, if there's a uh, defensive lineman who's jumping gap at, you know, post snap, he's going to end up falling forward. But he, he, you know, we've talked about, you know, the offensive line additions of these offseason. They want to run zone. They run on a zone. He, he's a gap guy. Like he works doubles. They're gonna. He has some real knockback power, Justin. Um, but he kind of, you know, foot speed. I don't know if you can teach that. So there's some things that he needs to work on. But man, he is a freaking mammoth. Uh, yeah, well, I, like I'm, he is a mammoth who, like, you wouldn't, you'd be surprised to see how good he can move for a guy that freaking big. I'm watching his 40 yard dash right now. I've been watching it on replay as you've been talking, and I'm getting a kick out of it. Like he's a very big hu- human being, and it's funny to see him move somewhat fast. Yeah, he he is a <laughs> he is a gigantic human being who, again, for for his size, like he moves pretty well. And I think he did pretty well at the um. At the Shrine Bowl, I didn't watch yeah. that, but but there was you know some good reports. Said, you know he he did well down there. Um, I, I don't know how many people from the Giants were down there. You know, it's the same time as the Senior Bowl. Um, but the pro day, that's that's where they were. Yeah, that's where again, they there was relationships there. Uh, Marcus McKeithen, like you take you take a swing again. We're at the end of the fifth round. You take a swing at a guy with that type of size, that type of anchor ability. You're fine with it. Um. Now it's a numbers game right now with the offensive line because they did add so many. I mean, they added, you know, shout out the license plate guy who said offensive nine men. They've added nine offensive linemen since uh, Joe wow. Shane was hired. Um, so wow. it, it is a bit of a numbers game right now of who's going to make the roster. But uh, I don't think I don't think he'd get snatched up if they try and put him on the practice squad to start. So. Okay, yeah, because I mean, there, there's there's kind of a, a a problem. It's kind of a good problem about yeah, how many how many guys. Now none of them are great. That's the thing. Like, especially the interior guys. Well, yeah, on the inside. You're not really looking at the interior, and you're like, oh, these guys are great. But there's a depth problem. Yeah, which they, they took it seriously. They took this offensive line seriously this yeah. offseason. All right, last on this list. Wow. I think is some good value. Cincinnati linebacker, round six, pick 182, Darian Beavers. Mm. Transfer from UConn. He's a super senior, so he I think he's going to be 23 at the, at the start of the season, or maybe 24. We talked about him. Uh yeah, six foot four, big, two hundred thirty-seven pounds. He actually tested well at the combine, um, so please don't uh, you know share his RAS score. But I think his biggest issue is he kind of struggles with athleticism when he's put in man coverage. Like you can't put him in man coverage, and then when you get out on the edges, he would get beat to the corner, which would leave him like grasping low as a tackler. But he's just a big thumping linebacker, and he plays like it. Old school. Yeah, he's an old school linebacker, and, and he's very versatile. Like you can move him out as outside linebacker, uh, you know, and he just very active hands to shed blockers and ability to slip under. Like he's a he's he's just like he's a very competent linebacker for what we're getting in round six. You know, a lot of people were like when this guy was picked, they're like, oh man, I had him third round, fourth yeah, th- round. Yeah, this was the uh, why I think I was a little, I was a little disres- little disrespectful to Darian Beavers when we first talked about him because. Again, I, I kind of view prospects in the lens of where you're picked. I love Darian Beavers as our final pick in the draft. Um, and there there's a lot of people that are calling, you know, Darian Beavers the biggest steal of the Giants draft class. So, uh, you know, hey, thinking of that we could get this guy, thinking of being a little afraid that Darian Beavers could be a Giants third or fourth round pick, and now he's our final pick of the whole draft. Right. I love it. You know? Yeah, I had him as like a late fourth is where you're comfortable, and then you take him in yeah. the six. Yeah. Um. And and again, I also should share my my draft grades aren't perfect. It's not like a number. It's basically my draft grade is 
all right, I'm at this part of the draft. What players am I looking at? Mm. You know, and that's where it's like where you know you'd be like you'd feel really good about getting yeah. that player, and you got him in the sixth round. Um, Can win at a phone booth. Yeah, I, I learned what that expression was by watching this player. Yeah, he's got good technical hands. Like you know, he brings the pop. Uh, you know, he can shoot gaps well when he's given the green light yeah. as a blitzer. Um, not going to flow sideline to sideline, and that's the like him and Mike yeah. McFadden are the exact opposite. Yeah, they're very opposite players, but they're both you know they're both versatile. You know, and, and yeah. versatility is a thing that Wink Martindale does value. Um, in coverage, I think he's adequate in zone, but he's never going to be like a, a help. Um, and man coverage will give him issues. But again, this was a guy who was a big part of that Cincinnati defense that had a lot of good players. Um, uses his hands well. He's just a big thumping linebacker who, again, uh, uh, is going to compete for. Pl- I, I think he might compete for playing time this this season. You know, did you say his player comp? Which is this is funny. <sighs> Now, people will hate this, but you think about it for a six-round pick, I was kind of like, he kind of reminds me of Reggie Ragland a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, with better hand usage, I think, than than Reggie Ragland. Like, we're um, not the best athlete, uh, you know, can struggle a little out on the corners, but, like, he brings the pop in the run game. You can put him out of edge. He has some pass rush uh, ability, uses his hands. Like, yeah, that was, that was going to be something that I added. Like, that's I, solid, I don't, like I don't a, know a, how a often. Two-day line, a, a two-down linebacker. Yeah, I don't know how often he's going to be put on the edge. I think he was put on the edge a, a decent amount at Cincinnati. Like, I don't think he has that pass rush moves, and he doesn't. No, I mean, you're not putting – it's not third and speed. eight, and you're putting him out on the edge, but yeah. on rundowns, you put him out on the edge. He can use his hands. He can, you know, uh, add a little – like, he can at the edge like yeah. he can do that 14 and a half career sacks though three sacks 2017 four sacks 2018 2020 two and a half sacks and then 2021 where i know for a fact that they were using him out on the edge uh he had five sacks so um he he did some good things out there yeah very a very solid six round pick like i, I was we were excited about this pick yeah all right, that's 11 draft picks wow man doing 11 draft picks makes this episode a little more stressful um we, you know, Bobby, you know, we, uh, we have conversations on our, you know, our, our pre-draft episodes and our draft preview episodes. Like, Hey, let's keep it like eight players, eight players, an hour, wrap it up. Now we're at 11. I'm mad at myself. I forgot to ask for reviews at the beginning oh, of the episode. Oh no. no. This is one of our biggest episodes. We're supposed to ask for reviews. That's all right. We got straight to work. People respect that. Well, I will say, and I always end this episode with a a thank you Mm. this draft stuff it's a lot of work um it's one of our biggest days of growth if not the biggest weekend not just day yeah the weekend like you know yeah this this weekend it's it's very big for us we have a lot of fun doing it we enjoy it um it's fun i feel like we're pretty good at it too you look at our track record you know we we've done pretty well um, you know, get, giving people the information on, on what those guys are. So, Jason, if you, uh, you know, you got some, you know, share the podcast with your friends if you're listening at this end. So I really do appreciate you guys supporting because it wouldn't be fun if you guys weren't clicking on this and listening and interacting on social media. So I really do uh, enjoy this. Uh, and I, it, you know, I, I want to get better at this every single year. We have a lot of fun doing it, man. And, uh, I just want to give a, a sincere thank you to our listeners. You don't really ever see me on the. You don't really ever see me get like a, like an emotional, like very thankful on the podcast, except for the end of the draft uh, podcast. Yeah, and if you were to tell me in 2018 when I started this whole thing, you know, on on my own, and hey, Justin, in a matter of four years, you're gonna have a show that's in the top ten of all football podcasts. Yeah, we had the number one team-based Center, podcasts yeah. in, in football this, this weekend. And we were the and number the nine. And the biggest weekend of 
of of, er- of this football. is everybody's Super Bowl. Yeah, it's like, not just ours. You know, when you we know? get the top ten after the Saints win, it's like okay, that's the Giants' moment that weekend. This is everybody. Like yeah. everybody builds to this, and to see us as the top rated team podcast, that was really cool, man. And I know. Uh, your guy, our successes are your guys' successes yep. because Talking Giants is one big family. It is Talking Giants versus the world. That's a, you know, that's a, not just a saying. That truly is how we feel um, in this landscape. So we do appreciate you yep. guys, Thank man. You. We really do appreciate Thank you. Thank you. you. This is a long episode, but it needs to be long. Um, uh, we'll be back on Thursday, breaking down the offensive undrafted free agents, and then Monday for the defensive ones, and then we're gonna have some fun. Stick around with us. That's what I'll say. I know we're going a little long, Justin. But stick around with us. We're gonna have some fun interviews. With, you know, this is mm. we don't we don't mail in the next two months nope. like a lot of shows do. We take these very seriously. We're gonna have good Giants content, good fun interviews for you, um, and we're just getting started, man. Really excited about this New York Giants team, um, and it all started with Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal. So mm. we appreciate you guys. I'll see you back in my sweet home, Florida, next time we're talking. Until then, let's go big blue.